Welcome to Hub & Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub & Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Hello, everyone. Welcome to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast. It's Monday, September 18th. I'm Chris Lenton. We're very lucky to have Dr. Tony Payan, the director for the Center for the United States and Mexico at Rice University's Baker Institute for Public Policy, and a real expert on Mexico politics. Thank you for joining us, Tony. It's a pleasure to be here. So we now know the election next year in June will be between Claudia Scheinbaum, former mayor of Mexico and a member of President López Obrador's Morena Party, and Xochitl Galvez, a businesswoman turned politician of the conservative PAN Party, who won the nod to represent the Frente Amplio coalition. Is this a surprise to you, Tony? Well, yes and no. On the side of the López Obrador coalition, which is composed of three political parties, the main of which is, of course, the Morena Party or Mr. López Obrador's party, that's not a surprise. I mean, we we certainly knew that Claudia Scheinbaum was going to be the handpicked successor. They did have a primary election and a kind of an election where several other people participated, but everybody knew that President López Obrador was going to tell the balance in favor of Claudia Scheinbaum. So no surprises there, I think. In fact, uh, precisely because the president put his thumb on the scale in favor of Claudia Scheinbaum, his coalition now faces a political crisis. They're trying to repair that because they certainly are having a fracture in that. But but no surprises there. On the other side, the Frente Amplio, Amplio, which is this amalgamation of three political parties, PAN, PRD, and PRI, Four months ago, I guess, they were in the wilderness sort of looking for an option, a solution. And they found Xochitl Galvez, who's a very attractive candidate. She's very charismatic. She's smart. She has a real good trajectory. She doesn't have any of the weaknesses of the other potential candidates. She was a poor person who rose through the education system, public education system in Mexico, became an entrepreneur, a politician, quite successfully. So I think for the first time, we can say that there is a race in Mexico. I wouldn't say it's 100 to zero, as I would have said four months ago. I think now it's more like 60-40 with Xochitl Galvez still the underdog, but with a very fair shot at the presidency. Wow, that's fascinating. And do you think there's still there's still room to grow, that she can still gain more popularity, more of that share of the vote? You know, 20% of Mexicans today are saying that they don't know who they're going to vote for. We know that Claudia Scheinbaum and the Lopez Obrador coalition has reached its peak. It's about 40 to 45%, I would say. And in the preferences of those who are going to vote or who at least expressed they're going to vote. And uh, Xochitl Galvez is about 30%. But But the race hasn't really began. The campaign, no one is in the campaign trail. So in the opposition, I think there's still a lot of room to grow. And there's still one out of every five voters in Mexico who are saying, I don't know yet. So I think this is a race. It's not It's not shot by any means. Clearly, the problem is going to be that Mr. López Obrador is going to employ some means from the Mexican government to deploy social programs. And even I wouldn't put it beneath them to uh, take some public funds to prop up uh, Claudia Scheinbaum's campaign. They've shown that they are quite capable of doing that and also collaborating with organized crime, which is a serious thing. They've uh, shown a 
their ability to reach out to organized crime in states like Guerrero and Michoacan and Nayarit and Sinaloa and Sonora and Baja California. I think he's going to do everything he can to get Claudia elected. But the opposition has a figure of a, a good, solid candidate. So there's a race on. Mm. That, that's fascinating. Well, let's talk a little bit about the, the proposals and the positions. Uh, when AMLO ran in 2018, energy was a massive issue, and, and he really followed through on many of, of, of his proposals, although he was, he was sort of stopped short in changing the Constitution. Do you see energy being a, a similarly big issue this time around? It is going to be, but not because Claudia Scheinbaum is going to bring it up. I think Claudia Scheinbaum cannot, in good faith, contradict Mr. Lopez Obrador. I mean, she is the hand-picked successor. She is the one that he's going to make every single effort to get elected. He thinks that he can manipulate her and that she is going to give continuity to her energy project, to his energy project, which is essentially a state-led sector with very little or no private participation, with the large national companies, Pemex and CFE, dominating the playing field and with the regulatory agencies completely co-opted or neutralized. She's not easily going to um, depart from that particular position. She owes everything she is and has to Mr. Lopez Obrador, so she's clearly not going to bring it up. So to Galvez, however, has a different view. Her company, I think, builds sustainable buildings. Uh, She's very aware of renewables. She knows that the Mexican government will simply not have the resources to uh, accomplish the goals, both providing energy, providing the right mix of energy that companies will demand, and also the fact that there's climate change and there's some issues that need to be addressed. So I think Xochitl Galvez uh, will advantageously bring it up over and over again, and will certainly put Claudia in a very difficult position. So to summarize very quickly, I think the issue will be on the ballot. The question is whether it will be effectively communicated to the voters by one side or the other. Mm-hmm. And, well, you can't really talk about Mexico without mentioning the word nearshoring these days. I think as someone who sees you know, the world through the prism of energy, we see more natural gas flowing into industries in Mexico, and it seems that there's already a sort of tangible result from, from nearshoring. How do you think nearshoring is going to play into the presidential election, Tony? Well, quite a lot. I mean, obviously not in the general public. What is the general public occupied with? I mean, they're interested in healthcare. They're interested in in education. They're interested in infrastructure. They're they're interested in public safety and security. By the way, public safety and security, I think over 70% of Mexicans today do not feel safe in the country. 40% of Mexicans say that they would leave the country if they could. They would migrate to a safer country. So this is going to be a big issue. Mr. Lopez Obrador has not addressed that. But the future of Mexico depends on investment. It's a capital poor country. I mean, it's a middle class country, but it's a capital poor country. It just simply does doesn't have the resources. Mr. Lopez Obrador has not really opened the country to aggressive foreign investment in any sector, really. I mean, the I looked at the numbers of foreign direct investment, and I can tell you that $25 billion a year is not enough. By comparison, Brazil is getting $80, $85 billion per year in foreign investment. So I think companies see Mexico as as reliable, but that's largely thanks to the USMCA, not necessarily to the business-friendly environment. But that means that Mexico will not be able to achieve the kind of economic growth that it needs that its people will need, and uh, it will have to open up. And that means they will have to address some of the issues that are 
currently deterring, I think, a lot of the nearshoring decisions, infrastructure, security, you know, more neutral or impartial regulatory agencies and more opportunities to invest uh, with the assurance that the government will not intervene. So nearshoring, if well translated into the political discourse through the ability to grow at higher rates, it's certainly going to be a topic of discussion, but it has to be presented in a digestible way for the general public in Mexico. Otherwise, it'll get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Well, you mentioned briefly US, the USMCA. Obviously, we could get to a point where there is a dispute panel over issues related to, to, to energy in particular. How, how do you see that dispute playing out during the, the election? How might each candidate try to resolve the issue? Well, again, Claudia Scheinbaum was in a very difficult position, right? Because, again, President Lopez Obrador put the thumb on the scale in her favor. They cheated the other candidates. Uh, Mr. Ebrard, the foreign minister, former foreign minister, is complaining of that. They got some some work to do there. She cannot really take uh, very many positions that depart from Mr. Lopez Obrador's position. So you can see her as a carbon copy of Mr. Lopez Obrador. This doesn't mean that she may not break away from those positions when she becomes the president. Obviously, at that point, she will hold power and she'll be able to do that. But right now and during the campaign, I think it's going to be very difficult to see her as someone who can depart from all these fights on energy, on GMO corn, on investment protection issues, and of course, the labor issues that the U.S. and Mexico are dealing with. So Xochitl Galvez, I think it's a little bit different. She has already spoken about the rule of law. Uh, She has already clearly said that Mexico has international commitments on climate change, on trade, and that the law is the law and the law has to be implemented. And so I would expect her, if she were to win, to be a lot more faithful to the USMCA. If Claudia Scheinbaum goes, you know, wins the election and goes into office, I think she might continue some of these disputes, trying to uh, win some victories on the margins. I think Xochitl Galvez, people say that there's no real difference. I think there's some real differences. What Where we are right now is that we need to be able to read between the lines, the undertext, the side text, the subtext, because there are real differences between the two candidates. How to crystallize them to the general public, that's going to be the challenge for each of them. But Claudia right now is painted into a corner and she she doesn't have a whole lot of room to maneuver. Yeah. Well, expanding a little bit on that issue, AMLO's been called a leftist, but it's, it's really not so clear who, who's left and, and, and right these days, is it? I mean, he's, he's militarized Mexico. He's put the armed forces in, in charge of many important projects. He's, you know, he hasn't really spent much money, which you would traditionally associate with a socialist government. Do you see with the candidate something similar that it's hard to kind of distinguish this sort of left-right picture? This is a very interesting question. You're absolutely right. Let me begin by saying that Mr. Lopez Obrador is not a leftist president. I I don't know where that fiction comes from. Obviously, he presented himself as such, he's allied with the Green Party, which is not green at all. In fact, that Green Party is not even a member of the Green Party's international coalition because they hold such strange positions. So it's really a deformation of that agenda. And then he's obviously allied with the Workers' Party, which is seen as the as a leftist party and he himself i think came from activism back in the 60s and 70s so people tend to associate it with the left the reality is that his policies are very sui generis mexico has never really adjusted to the right left spectrum 
It's been kind of a loose term that is thrown around. But at the end of the day, I think Mr. Lopez Obrador is really a sui generis populist. Uh, populist he is. Leftist, I'm not sure. His uh, policies are really accommodating to what he believes is the national interest or what he believes is the nationalist agenda. I would place him as a populist nationalist leader, not a leftist, not a right. And I think Claudia uh, might move the, a little bit, might kind of articulate the left a little bit better. I'm not sure. It's very hard to tell what Claudia Scheinbaum really believes. She may have her own thoughts, but right now all she does is parrot exactly what Mr. Lopez Obrador tells her to or what he says she repeats. And so it's very difficult to tell where she really stands, whether it's going to be a center, right, or left, and on and on. Now, Sochal Galvez is a little different because Interestingly, even though she caucuses with the PAN, which is a right-of-center political party, she is not and has never been a card-carrying member of that political party. And she is being nominated by the PRI, which is a centrist party, and the PRD, which is a leftist party. And in a kind of a strange twist of events here, she is being nominated by these three political parties that, that range from the right PAN to the left PRD going through the center PRI. But in her, I think, core, uh, she's a little bit of a leftist. So when she talks about social programs, when she talks about the poor, when she talks about the welfare state, when she talks about growth, when she talks about the environment, she seems to be, to me, positioned a little bit to the left of the center. I think she's a little bit more articulate in that sense, and I think represents that a little bit more. Again, surprisingly, because she's being, you know, she caucuses with the right of center party. But I think she will, we will see her positions very much to the left of center, but in a much more organized, articulate and institutionalized way. Yeah. And it sounds also in a sort of more pro-business way. She would be the pro-business candidate. Exactly. I mean, this is what this is what this is why the race is so interesting today. We have two very interesting candidates. One of them, perhaps, the continuity of Mr. Lopez Obrador. A lot of chaos, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of polarization. You know, a lot of acrimony in the in the environment. And then we have somebody who's the Frente Amplio candidate, who's both business friendly, but also when it comes to the social welfare state, a little bit on the left. So she bridges both sides. Yeah, it's a really interesting race. I'm certainly going to be looking at that race for the next nine months. Yeah, it's fascinating. And Amla is obviously concerned. I mean, the way that he, he brings up brings her up, Xochitl up in, you know, in the mañaneras and, and all that sort of the sort of the vitriol and, and, and the criticism, it's, it's, it's obvious that he is concerned. He is worried. And of course, the more he talks about Xochitl Galvez, the more presidential he turns her. You know, she was a relatively unknown figure, a senator from a minor state, and then uh, a Mexico City resident and I think a mayor of one of the Mexico City boroughs. Not really a big figure in national politics, but all of a sudden she is. And I think there's a lot of uh, middle-class Mexicans and a lot of people who are disaffected with Lopez Obrador and a lot of people who are concerned about security and in Mexico and economic growth and the future and education and healthcare. I mean, you go down the, the line and I think she can galvanize a lot of those concerns and and uh, put up a real fight. Uh, so in that sense, Mr. Lopez Obrador is concerned, but he's also painted into a corner, right? You know, if he does, if he ignores her, he's going to allow her to grow and grow and occupy the vacuums that he's left with his political style. And if he attacks her, he also makes her very, very look very presidential. She's been very good at putting him in a in a bind. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, let me let me put you on the spot. I know there there are many months still to go, but at this stage, who who's going to be the next president of Mexico, Tony? You know, I would say it's a race. I can't predict it. I think Sochi Galvez has a shot. The Lopez Obrador government is going to cheat. They're going to bring the entire state apparatus, bureaucratic apparatus and, and, and public resources to bear in favor of Claudia. That would point towards her. But at the same time, Claudia Scheinbaum is a very unattractive candidate. She's very gray. Nobody knows what she really thinks. She's very uninspiring. You know, she doesn't have a good public discourse. But she has the backing of the president and the government and the resources that that means. Xochitl Galvez has all the enthusiasm of the people, citizens, middle class, a lot of disaffected people. She's going to run a pretty good campaign. She uh, connects well with women in particular. So I think that's going to be her asset. So it's going to be two very different candidates. The scenario it really is this. If Xochitl Galvez, well, let me say, if, if Claudia Scheinbaum wins the election, I think she might become the next president. And I think Xochitl Galvez, if the election is credible, I think Xochitl Galvez will acknowledge her as the winner. And that'll be the end of the election and will have Scheinbaum in power. The worrisome scenario, though, is the opposite. If Xochitl Galvez manages to win, even if it is by 1% or 2% or 3%, I think the government, the Lopez Obrador government, will not easily accept that. They will, of course, accuse that they've been cheated, that there's been uh, the the didn't work, and on and on. And there's three scenarios in that case. One is that they finally accept the outcome, and Xochitl Galvez becomes president. Two, that there is a lot of mobilization in the country, a lot of turmoil. The president mobilizes his followers who are very, very radical and and very faithful, loyal to him. And then the opposition also mobilizes. But the institutions preserve their ability to negotiate politically. And there's voices, there are voices that are that have the legitimacy and the authority to, to achieve some sort of political resolution. And they come to the table and they work it out. The third scenario is a very negative scenario, I think, which is where the opposition wins the election, Xochitl Galvez is the winner, the president doesn't accept that, there's mobilization on both sides, the institutions collapse, and there are no legitimate voices that can bridge the two sides, negotiate a political agreement, and give the resolution to the 2024 election, and then uh, Mexico really falls into a more chaotic, ungovernable situation. So all three scenarios, I think, at this time are quite possible. Or if you want to add the scenario where Claudia Scheinbaum wins, I don't like to talk about or predict the future in a very specific way. I rather think about scenarios, and these are the four scenarios that I see right now. Okay, very interesting. Well, it's going to be a fascinating upcoming nine or ten months. Dr. Tony Payan, thank you so much for your expertise as always. My pleasure. Thanks so much for the invitation. Happy to be here. Fantastic. Speak soon. Understanding the energy, regulatory, and political landscape is imperative to achieving success in the Mexican natural gas market. A daily information service that is trusted by active market participants on both sides of the border, NGI's Mexico Gas Price Index provides on-the-ground and independent news and insight, as well as market-informed natural gas pricing and flow data. Visit natgasintel.com backslash Mexico GPI to find out more about NGI's Mexico services and how they can better inform your strategy today.
Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub and Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.